We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Man, let me tell you something. Can you believe I saw an article? Um, this article, first of all, do you notice anything different? Like, just just take a look at the screen real quick. Like, is there anything okay. different? Um, your beard is shorter. But a little bit. You no. got it. Oh, that's, look at you. <laughs> so it's the mic. It's the mic. Like, I got chastised for not having the microphone right in front of me. So when the producer spoke, I listened. And so I moved everything a little bit closer so that I'm talking directly into the quarter inside of the foam inside of the microphone. But let me tell you, I saw an <laughs> ad on Twitter. I think it was for how to prepare for the 2021 holiday season. I'm like, yo, uh, we are still dealing with cicadas. Um, we're not even past 100 degrees yet, although it's been a bit muggy. And I'm already seeing stuff about the holiday season. Like, I mean, are we trying to rush 2021? I thought people were like getting excited <laughs> about 2021. because I mean, because we got like a vaccine and all this stuff. So it's like, are people like trying to rush 2021? I guess maybe this person was, you know, a, a bit overzealous. They must be a new writer. They, they said they wanted to get a head start on everybody else. I, I don't know about you. I'm a Christmas Eve shopper, but okay. my grandma, I can tell you that she is already shopping for Are you Christmas for all of us. Right. So, I mean, what is she? Dude, is, she is she never stops. So, I mean, is she one that like grabs the out of season stuff from last year because it's great deals or is she actually shopping, you know, full regular price stuff? Oh, no, never full regular price. Uh, okay. That's not what, okay. what we do. Well, yeah, that's no. cool. she's, she's a I, discounter. <laughs> okay, I know I can get with grandma on that. I think grandma's smart about that. You know, wait for stuff to go out of season. They get that red tag on it, put that magic mark on there and cross over. If you know you go to the right store, they, they kind of write on. You know, I laugh when I look at some of the tags, mm -hmm. Jay, and they got like eight stickers on them because they done marked it down seven times. Uh, so, no, grandma's doing the right mm -hmm. thing. She's shopping the right way. Come on. And you and I both know uh, right. most of what we purchase is overpriced. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, it is. My favorite, though, while we're telling your grandma story, is sometimes she buys things and then she hides it so we won't see it. And, okay. uh, and then she forgets where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go I'm ahead, done. Grandma. Grandma, I love you. <laughs> Go ahead, Grandma. Speaking of grandmas, we got this real fun story that uh, was on the Smithsonian Magazine, and it talked about the 15 small towns that people should visit, the best small towns to visit in 2021. Did you peek at that list? I did, and I only had one of those cities already on my to-do list. Wait a minute. Which one? Uh, Muscle Shoals. Let me scroll down. Oh, I see that in Alabama. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yeah. Now, 
I can absolutely appreciate every single reason why, you know, based on what they've placed here uh, on the list. It was a cool little story. You know, I actually I, I smiled when I saw those one because I said, you know, we're always planning vacations. And when I say we people. And more often than not, <laughs> you know, more often than not, we're planning these vacations to highly populated places places that tend to be, you know, a bit expensive, especially when you have a family, you know, it's one thing when you travel by yourself, mm -hmm. uh, but when you're traveling with a family, three, four, five more people, we're, we're planning these vacations to places that cost uh, a great deal. A friend of mine uh, is looking at hotels for like four days in Myrtle, Be Myrtle Beach. And it's like $2,000, mm -hmm. you know, for, for four. And it's not even like a boutique hotel. You know, this is just you know, regular, a regular hotel. So yeah, I thought that that was a fun story. I promise we are going to tweet this out because a lot of you, we keep saying this and shout out to all of you who have vaccinations that are going to be planning trips, but the muscle shows sound studio is in Alabama. The Alabama music hall of fame is there. It's, um, whose birthplace, the birthplace of WC handy. I don't know who that is, but he's the father of the blues. Father of the Blues. Yeah. Ah, Helen Keller. Helen Keller, the original Braille typewriter is on view in that museum there. So there's some great places. Manitou Springs, Colorado. They said there's a population of 5,283 people. I, I guarantee if you go to that joint for a week, you'll know everybody in the damn city. Oh, hell yeah. And for people like who are not like ready to be social yet after a year in isolation, like pick a small town. It'll yeah, feel homey. Yeah. It'll feel less um, overwhelming than going to L.A. or, you know, wherever. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people are probably just really fiending for a beach. Um, oh, my state mm. made it on here. Dyersville, Iowa. I've never even heard of Dyersville, Iowa, but that's apparently where they did the 1989 film Field of Dreams. Who knew? Huh. Interesting. Who knew? Okay. Yeah. So vacations get the list we'll make sure that we tweet it out um but we're going to get into some uh well we're going to get into inclusion for shits and giggles uh, because i really thought that this was an interesting story um so this lady down in texas she decided that she wanted to do a social experiment uh the article is on kwtx.com it's titled texas mother charged after she snuck into school pretending to be the daughter. Now, when you saw this on our show note, what was the first thing that you thought about before you looked at the story, before you looked at any other video? What you think about when you saw the headline, Texas mother <laughs> charged after sneaking into the school pretending to be her daughter? Okay, so honestly, my first thought, because I watched too many murder shows and listened to too many murder podcasts, was that she was trying to fake her daughter's appearance at school because she had murdered her. That's immediately where I went. Wow, was, you thought that? <laughs> yes. You thought that? No, yep. so let me tell you, that that's really, really wild because I had a bit of a sinister thought. I want you to elaborate on that because yours is, a, yours is far more sinister than mine. I thought she was sneaking into the school. I thought she was sneaking in because her daughter may have had a beef with someone and mm. she just said, oh, you know what? And, and, you know, no, nobody's picking on my baby. So I thought she was 
going to protect her daughter. Now, I hadn't even I hadn't even looked at the imagery. I didn't know who the woman was. I didn't know her ethnicity, any of those things. I just immediately thought she's going to protect her daughter. But you thought she murdered her daughter or her daughter was murdered. Yes. So, yeah, I, I immediately like all the ADD and anxiety kicks immediately to the bad place. And I go, oh, my God, something happened to her kid. Now, I like yours because I can honestly see some moms doing that. That shit too. be like, hey, I'm going to come in and kick this little 13 year old's ass. And I'm going to sit back. <laughs> right? like, but the other thing that caught me as soon as I turned it on was that she was going to junior high, right? Like middle school, not even high school. I'm like you're, you're, let's say a 35 year old woman and you think you're going to roll up exactly. into middle school. Oh no, exactly. no, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, now, now for those of you who are listening, you don't have the luxury of, of the story at this particular point. So she, of course, dressed herself up, like put her hair in a ponytail, threw on a baseball cap. She had the benefit of being able to wear a mask because we are in the midst of COVID. So she was able to kind of get through. But to Julie's point, I I agree because I believe her daughter in the story is like 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, And I just don't see how a 30 year old is passing for a 13 year old, like in stature, in in eyes, even in your eyes, like, okay, you got a mask on, but your eyes still tell a different story. You got a little, little crow's feet around there or something. Yeah. yeah that whatever they yeah, call it. Was that crazy. Thing. Yeah. And it seemed uh, like she only just did it for shits and giggles, right? That's what it seems like. You know, she, she, she went on a rant, you know, she did a couple of videos before she went into the school and then she did some videos. I'm assuming after she was arrested to kind of explain why she did it. But to me, I feel like that was like, just like shits and giggles. Like, okay, I hear you. And I hear why you said you went, but why would you take an entire day? What, what's the point? And, 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 and here's what, Here's why I'm questioning it. It's like, what's the point, especially if even in your I don't want to call it a confession video, but even in your video of why you did it, you still didn't call out the school. So you're trying to say that you're breaking or wanting to show that you could do it, that the security is lax or whatever the situation is, but you're not calling out the school. So what's the benefit? What's what's the solution there? Yeah, I, I think she was just bored and, and she needed to have some entertainment, thought she might get YouTube famous. Um, yeah, and, and weird. And as a parent, right, like you're thinking, um, who else can just get into my kid's school um, dressed as a 13 a year old if a 30 year old ish can get away with it? Like, that's that's some shit. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit that was problematic for me. You know, again, you know, as I look at the the entire story, I'm just asking myself, you know, when we think about our schools where our babies are going, I know we're approaching the summer and school's about to be out for a while, but I just think that, you know, we have so many things that we should be worried about, uh, whether it be public or private school. And certainly in many instances, these public schools are underfunded, under-resourced. That's not a good look. And and I don't want a parent to be able to get into the school. I don't care who the parent is. I need that parent to be buzzed in and sent straight to the office the same way that it used to be when I would go to one of my king's school 
buzz me in. And mm-hmm. you literally had to go. You had to go to the office to get into the school. There was a, 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 yeah. a, a particular door that parents had to go through to get into the school, which led you right into the office, sign in, get approved, get a badge and then go into the school. But you don't walk through the door with the, the students. That's crazy. No, no. Well, and, I yeah. mean, you just think about it like you. You have this woman who entered in Texas where they have just passed a law that says you can carry a gun at any time without proper training, without a license. That's right. Concealed or open. Right. And if this woman can just walk in and handle the whole day without anyone noticing one, where are these teachers? Like, do they even know their students? And two, holy, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I never I, I, I think about these things because while right now we're in a hybrid scenario and what she says in the story is that a lot of the teachers paid more attention to the students that were on the computers and not necessarily her or people that were in. Like she said, in one class, she was the only person sitting in the classroom. And and so I guess I can understand um, not understand uh, what I'm trying to say is. I see the I see a scenario like this being a test run. I see a story like this being a problematic test run because somebody's yeah. going to read the story, attempt to try that same thing in a state where they have very lax gun laws like a Texas. And mm-hmm. we have another situation that we absolutely want to avoid. And this right here shows me that. We have so much more work to do, which is why I just, you know, I'm frustrated with words like liberal, conservative. I'm frustrated with just so much that is attached to our political system right now. It's like, why can't you all get this thing together? Like, it, right. it, it, I, I just don't understand why you can't get it together. Um, but, yeah, I just thought that that was a wild story. And I wanted to put that in front of our listeners. Yeah, well, and you transitioned me well, um, because the next kind of news for the day is that the U.S. Senate failed again to pass the Paycheck Fairness Act, um, which is aimed to reduce income inequality um, between women and their male co-workers. Um, It needed 60 votes to pass. Not one. Republican. Not two. Not two. Not, no, no, not one. Not one. Not one, including eight women, voted against the act. And, and we've got one really dumb woman right here with our video. And then we've got these eight w- other women who, like, absolutely are voting against their own economic self-interest and financial well-being. And I just don't freaking get it. Like, this should be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, but again, I, I I don't think that they see it as voting against their interests, because when we think about the people that are casting these votes, Jay, these individuals, for the most part, are well off. If they're not well off, they're certainly beyond um, what, what, what we call it, middle income, um, considering the benefits that they have. Um, their compensation while they are currently in office and 
post office, they don't consider themselves voting against their interests. And, you know, you have a statistic that this even impacts it, it impacts all women. But but I don't understand how how we are still fighting to get parity uh, in compensation. I just again, I just don't understand these um, some of these conversations that we're having. Right. And, and like, I feel what you're saying. The, the pushback I would give on that is that even though they're well-to-do, possibly millionaires in, in this particular situation, um, they still make less money than their male counterparts, right? In their, in their day jobs, white women make 82 cents on the dollar, black women, 63 cents. Native American women, 60 cents and Latinas, 55 cents for their non or white, non-Hispanic male counterparts. They, they are, they're all white women and they still make less. So even though they're rich, they could be richer. And, and, and we can't get that done with eight what? female senators on the on the other side of the aisle. It's insane to me. So let me ask you this. Where does it stand? You know, because they voted against it. Where does it stand? Is it something that is perhaps going to be brought back up? I, I'm not following this particular story. So it, yeah, is it just would, dead until somebody I brings it back up again? Yeah, it's it's dead for the session. Um, the House has passed the bill several times in past sessions um, and keep sending it over hoping right and unless we we take down the filibuster where we can use vice president harris as a as a tiebreaker um most of the economic agenda that's currently on the table is going to be dead um and this along with it unfortunate Absolutely unfortunate. Yes. And again, you know, just think back to when we had the women in the streets after the last election and they had the little mm-hmm. um, pink caps on their head and all that other stuff. And it's like, where mm-hmm. are they? You know, where are we now? You know, and, and I think I think part of the challenge for so many of us is that um, I, I think we just lose the steam in having some of these fights, you know. Everyone can't fight all of the fights, but the people that get into the fights, I think we we tend to lose the steam. People often ask me, you know, Torin, how is it that you stay, um, you know, encouraged, optimistic, motivated, hopeful uh, around the, the DEIB journey? How how have you done that for as long as you've done that? Like you've been it's been over a decade. I said, because I just I know that I have to fight. I know that we have to continue to to beat the drum to continue to depress the pedal if we're going to make any type of progress. And I just feel like, you know, in some particular way, we should really, really, really be pressing our. We should be pressing our politicians harder. This is not something that we should still be arguing about. No, agree. Enough said. Y'all need to get it done. Um, so Amazon Sidewalk, tell me what the holy hell this is. Yeah, so I'm going to have fun with this one. Uh, and it's <laughs> going to be very, very quick. But the bottom line is it's a new offering from Amazon, which is uh, which allows people in your neighborhood to use your internet bandwidth if 
someone else, if their internet bandwidth is low. Let me give you an example. So if you have a ring door alarm on your porch, your signal goes low on your bandwidth and it's not working, you can pull from your next door neighbor's bandwidth so we can keep your ring camera working and functioning optimally. The challenge that I have with this is that um, people are being automatically enrolled. Okay. I don't want Amazon to automatically enroll me in anything, especially as it relates to an alarm on, you know, a doorbell with a camera on my front porch. I don't want them automatically enrolling me into anything, especially that which is tied and connected to another device, which is inside of my house, which can listen. There's just, it's so problematic for me that they chose to go with an automatic enrollment in this Amazon sidewalk program. And so because I'm not a fan of this automatic enrollment, I just wanted to clearly articulate for our listeners, if you have a newer Amazon device, um, I want to make sure that you have an idea of how you can unroll, unenroll yourself because uh, this is a bit of a data sharing program and I, I, I see it as being a problem. So here are the steps that you can use to opt out. If you use an Amazon Alexa product in the Amazon Alexa app, tap more in the lower right hand corner of the screen, tap settings, then tap account settings. Then Amazon Sidewalk, toggle the sidewalk to the off position. Again, if you have an Amazon Alexa product in the Amazon Alexa app, tap more in the lower right-hand corner of the screen, tap settings, account settings, Amazon Sidewalk, and toggle sidewalk to the off position. If you use a Ring product in the Ring app, tap the three-lined icon in the upper left corner, then tap Control Center, tap Amazon sidewalk and slide the button to the off position. I just want you all to have an option if you have a newer device, because the way that I understand the story, everyone with a newer device is automatically enrolled in the Amazon sidewalk program. I want to make sure you know how to turn that feature off. Make sense? Yeah, no, good, good PSA. I totally agree. Thank you for the info. Got it. Thank you for your existence in our industry, for making the space safe, for creating physical, emotional, and professional boundaries so that we can make work about exploitation, loss of respect, about abuse of power without being exploited or abused in the process. This was a quote by the I May Destroy You creator, Michaela Coel. She was actually saying such in her dedication speech to her BAFTA win to her productions coordinator, Miss Ita O'Brien. After this job fight ad, we will get into the show. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new job fight? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the 
Job by Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. All right. Welcome back. Uh, thank you, Jobvite, for your continued support of Crazy and the King. Indeed. Um, so I have to tell you, Torn, I'm feeling a little vindicated today. And if you know me, me, you'll know why. But go ahead. I mean, but vindication <laughs> is a good thing. Vindication is a good thing. Talk about it. Yes. So today in HR Dive, um, one of the, I believe, three EEOC commissioners, um, Keith Sonderling, um, wrote an article and it said, or the title is No Bots Need Apply, Micro-Targeting Employment Ads in the Age of AI. So what the holy hell does that mean, right? Um, so basically, finally, someone in the EEOC is waking up and saying programmatic and AI-driven job advertising is going to have significant implications on employers potentially breaking federal civil rights laws around employment, right? Back in the day when the original EEO was written, everybody was advertising on paper, everybody was, you know, doing radio, the whole thing, right? Little flyers with hell ever. Obviously, the, the market has changed dramatically with online job boards and paid advertising in that way and the way that we use social media and all of those things, right? But now programmatic and artificial intelligence to make those just a little, even that much smarter in terms of micro-targeting and how money gets spent on, on pay-to-click advertising is going to have significant implication on whoever sees the job. And as we all know, that's the first barrier to employment. So if you're never getting served up that programmatic job, that AI-driven advertising, it's, it's going to come around. And, and so I will say, and then we can chat why I'm feeling vindicated is every programmatic and AI-driven vendor that I have spoken to in the last five years, I've said, okay, what about people with disabilities and how are you ensuring that your AI is not going to be damaging to diverse communities that we need to hire, period. And everyone looked at me like glazed over, boring, why are you talking lady? And here we are, right? Finally, someone says, we, this is a conversation that we need to have. Yeah. And let me tell you, um, ever since April of 2019, I have been incessantly sharing an article from the AI Now Institute. It talks about AI. Well, it's titled Discriminating Systems, Gender, Race and Power in AI. And, and even in the, the article, while they don't call out um, the, the challenge around people with disabilities, the findings inside of this article, it's about 33 pages. It's, it's all of the things that you and I talk about over and over and over again. And it talks about the steps towards why we, we should be thinking differently around putting AI in everything whether it be HR technology, whether it be the devices inside of our home, whether it be the, uh, the, the stop signs, the billboards, uh, different um, technical applications, uh, logistic applications that are in our cities, making them smarter, uh, making them to in, in some ways more 
um, livable, I guess is the word. So you should absolutely feel vindicated. And, you know, and Keith is, you know, he's uh, not as if I know him personally, but, you know, he's, he's, he's the grandson of Holocaust survivors. So he comes at these solutions with a different level of empathy. And I always say that, you know, when we are thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, you have to have some empathy. You have to have some proximity, some some closeness to the circumstance and condition of other people. And you think about these things a little bit differently. I appreciate his contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not anti AI. I'm not anti programmatic job advertising. We, we use it um, on our job board. It's, it's a fast and good way to both generate revenue and, and save money on job advertising, but we have to make sure that it can be held accountable in the same way that every other piece of, of job advertising is as well. And, and the thing is, is that it can't be, um, we can't just have a blanket answer, right? So a couple of years ago, you and I talked about Facebook um, and when they made that settlement with the U.S. government saying, hey, we're not going to allow any targeting for employment, housing, and I think credit um, based on demographic information yeah, because yeah, people are using it in the wrong way. It, yeah. And real quick, let me just jump in for the listeners who may, may be new to our show and not aware of what you're talking about. Bottom line is on Facebook, you had something like a hundred there was something like a wasn't it like a hundred thousand? You you there was a there were a bunch of different options that a person could check to determine where they wanted their ad to be seen, so that those check boxes were targeted segmentation, you know, uh, metrics, if you will. And so that's what Julie is making reference to. Go ahead, Jay. Right, and so um, what the the government basically, I would say, forced. Facebook into doing is just saying you can't do any targeting anymore on, on, on those three categories. Well, that's cool. But like we used it to target people who were had disabilities, who wanted to get to work. Right. And so just like to throw the baby out with the bathwater is not an acceptable solution. Our, our regulations have to grow and evolve with our technology, especially around employment. And they're not right now. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you think we need to do about that? Because that kind of goes back to the conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago. You know, when we when we think about um, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I, I think about the conversation we had around just trying to make it more that people can express who they are and and reveal themselves because I think the more people, I think the more the government sees more employers see who we are really talking about, I think it will change. I think it will have influence in how we change and develop and grow moving forward. I feel like right now, Julie, we are operating in such a, an archaic protective way that we really yeah. are. We are preventing, I, I, for lack of a better explanation, I feel like we are preventing ex, uh, uh, relationships. That's not the right word. Um, but I, I feel like we are stunting 
um, our ability to be of service to the people that we say we care about. I feel like we are stunting our ability to to actively build the types of relationships that we say we care about because of some of the protective regulation that we have, some of the limitations that we have. What do you think? Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the the fact of the matter is, is we have several octogenarians in Congress, right? You remember a couple of years ago when the tech CEOs were talking about um, how their technology worked and, and some of our senators were unable to fathom how Facebook made money, right? Facebook makes money through advertising dollars, through yep. that, that medium. And that was just sort of beyond their comprehension. So one is we need to have a Congress that is more... Um, reflective of the U.S. population. Uh, two, I really, I am not a a believer in, in more regulation is better. We need some and it needs to be updated. But I think that there are brilliant, brilliant minds in TA tech, in social media, in online advertising, the amount of things that they can figure out how to do if they choose to, right, is mind blowing. It's, it's otherworldly. And so really tech needs to figure out how to regulate itself and figure out how to make sure that big government doesn't come in and set those regulations. And I think you said it perfectly. We are living in an archaic system that is not helping us to advance our citizens, citizenry because our laws are outdated. Yeah, a bit problematic, but certainly in this particular instance, we appreciate, you know, what the EEOC has done uh, as it relates to that. I, I, I just want to quickly touch on, you know, LinkedIn paying their ERG leaders. Um, do you I mean, how do you feel about that? Because certainly that is something fairly new. I don't know how long it's been actually in play, but I started to hear about it last year. Uh, right around the summertime, organizations started to say that uh, compensating the folks that are doing the work of building ERGs is worthy of being uh, compensated. And so LinkedIn just last week decided that they were going to start uh, to pay uh, their global ERG chairs and that they have to actually serve a two year term, but they'll receive ten thousand uh, dollars at the end of each year of service. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, we talk about how diversity is a smart business decision, but then we don't put resources behind it. Right. We, you and I talk about this all the time. And so, you know, some of the most progressive companies I've seen allow their their ERG or PBRG leaders um, that a, a certain percentage of their time is dedicated to the ERG. So it's not something that you're only doing as a passion project that you're doing outside of, you know, your, your 40 hours. It's recognized as valuable. It's got dedicated space. Um, and it is that like developmental role, right. To grow into other roles. I think it's brilliant. I think LinkedIn takes it to, to the next level. Um, and that's where we've got to get, we have to get to the place where, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is funded and not just funded for events or to have a speaker. And those are all important things, but the people doing the work 
are the people on the ground leading your ERGs, right? Leading those pillars within your ERGs. Kudos to LinkedIn. I, I, I think it's um, I think it should be the standard. Yeah, I absolutely do. I agree with you 1000%. I'm happy about that. I'm really, really happy about that. So the, the big story for us this week, I, I wanted to talk about this, this term. Um, and I had never heard this term before, but I want to talk about it. Um, the article is in the New York times and it's titled the cost of being an interchangeable Asian. Have you heard that term before interchangeable Asian? No, I, I've never heard that, but well, not specifically about Asian people, but I think that white people do that a lot to people of color um, in, in my growing up. So, yeah, it's not shocking, but I've never heard that specific term. So I want to be transparent here and I want to just say that, you know, um, it's just a true story. There's no other way to sugarcoat it. I'm just going to say it. I don't I don't know how to tell the difference between a person who might be Korean who might be Japanese, who might be Chinese. I don't know necessarily how to tell that difference. Certainly in some instances, we can see the physical differences, but but I still, honestly, and I'm being very, very, very honest with my listeners, I don't necessarily know that when I see an individual that they are Chinese. I know that they are Asian. I don't know where they what that where the what their ethnicity is as an Asian. So this is the reason why I wanted to really share the story because it was a bit of learning for me, getting me closer to some of the challenges that they may experience. And and in this particular story, it actually starts out with the mention of a 40 year old woman. Uh, her name is Dr. J C Lau L A U. Uh, she is Chinese Australian. She actually left a company. After two years of working there, not a big deal. People do it all the time. But she left after two years because her coworkers didn't recognize who she was and it put her at a disadvantage, especially inside of the organization. Like it put her at a disadvantage because people didn't necessarily provide her with the credit for work that was being done didn't recognize her in certain meetings. It, it was the story was absolutely crazy. And so as I continue to read, jo Julie, it said that, you know, for for many Asians, the first thing that they want for many Asian-American professionals, the first that the first, you know, request that they have of most of us. And you were right. Mostly white men. The first request that they have is just learn my name. Just say my name right. I mean, the story is shocking in the fact that if I went to my office every day for two years and people didn't even know who I was, like, one, wow. Um, two, I can't believe she made it two years um, after that. And I'm just, I, I literally am kind of just sort of speechless thinking about how badly that makes me feel and and a growing empathy towards what you know what she endured and i think you know it's something that you and i again we talk about all the time is is that we need to have greater humanity within our organizations 
If you can't get your phone out of your, your, your face out of your damn phone, if you can't go have a cocktail or lunch or coffee or whatever, to at least take that moment to facially recognize your colleagues should not be a difficult thing, right? I, I mean, just even that we're using that interchangeable Asian, like I think that just speaks to a greater cultural problem that we have in the United States of where we are just not seeing each other anymore. It's, it's left or right, it's white or not white. It's, you know, it, it just, we have to take a step back and start to have a conversation with each other again. Yeah, there was um on Twitter. There's a hashtag uh, accompanying the story. It's hashtag sorry wrong Asian, and one of the first entries that I came across was actually from a Baltimore Sun. I don't know if he's still with the Baltimore Sun, um, but this particular individual, he's at RHP SIA. Um, He's now the associate editor at a paper down in Northern Virginia or D.C., but he talks about uh, years ago. He says, I walked into the Baltimore Sun newsroom after a pre-dawn stakeout for what would be a Pulitzer Prize nominated expose of corrupt local trash haulers when a sports editor yelled at me to fix his computer terminal. This guy is like an incredible journalist journalist and the guy says to come fix his computer so for those of you who are listening if you go out on twitter and hit the hashtag sorry wrong asian you'll uncover a lot and to julie's point it really is about being seen and how people are being seen uh it talks about um you know a study from ascend which is an incredible organization um they talked about a study. It's the Ascend Foundation. Uh, Foundation. They talked about a study from 2013. It found that while there were nearly as many Asian professionals as white professionals working at the five big tech companies, white men and women were 154% more likely to be an executive than their Asian counterparts. Asian professionals tended to peak at middle management. And as you read through the story, it gives you a number of different examples of, again, how Asian individuals, because they're not being recognized, people don't take the time out to know their name, to recognize their name. Some people, even in the story, Julie, um, maliciously called people by the wrong name, just like, you know, dismissing them like, whatever, your name is Julie, but I'm just going to call you doorknob and kept calling them by the wrong name, like maliciously. It, it really impacts their ability to grow in the professional workplace. And, you know, I found the story amazing um, and, and, and different because, you know, when I think about tech, I'm like, okay, how many times have we heard the tech companies say that they have diversity, but when you look at it, it's a high degree of Asian representation. So on one hand, the tech companies and others are leaning on the representations of Asian individuals as being diverse and inclusive. But then on the other hand, they are blocking them, providing or placing glass ceiling barriers and roadblocks in front of them, preventing them from growing inside of the organizations. So I think 
this is yet another story that says that we got to do better, period. Yeah, and I've appreciated over the last couple months that you've been bringing um, AAPI stories to the table. That's something that uh, collectively we haven't done a lot of talking about on the past, you know, two and a half years of crazying the king. And I've learned a lot. And and we do need to be more thoughtful about diverse communities that aren't the the ones that are always top of mind, right? So I think it's it's a it's a compelling conversation and and compelling examples of just how poorly we're doing. Yeah. So a couple of quick mentions. Thanks for that, Jay. Uh, a couple of quick mentions. I'm going to tweet out uh, a story. Uh, we don't have time to talk about it today, but uh, Bank of America has done a great job. They've innovated and are doing a wonderful job of supporting uh, some of their uh, disabled employees. So I'm going to shoot that tweet out. It's a story over on Human Resource Executive. And then Jennifer Tardy put together an infographic on um, underrepresentation. It's how to build or how to ad- attack, address underrepresentation inside of your workplace. Jennifer Tardy uh, put that infographic together and I'm going to tweet that out. And then last but not least, in terms of the quick mentions, uh, our dear friend Deanna Singh, who was on two, three episodes ago, uh, she is doing a summit in October. Uh, It's how to be an ally summit. It's virtual. Uh, Again, how to be an ally summit. The discount code when you get over to uh, her website, Deanna Singh, um, look for the how to be an ally summit. The discount code is C-A-T-K ally 10, the number 10, C-A-T-K ally 10. Uh, and thanks for Deanna to providing uh, that discount code to us. Uh, we'll put it on social media this week as well. I really hope that you guys can attend. Her interview has been one of the most positively responded interviews that that we've done um, here. And, and so I know it's going to be fantastic content. Yeah. And let me just say one more thing about that. The gift bags. Yo, you might want to register <laughs> just to get get your hand on the gift bag. You got a name drop, Jay? Um, I don't. <laughs> well, neither do I. So, yeah, no, that's all right. Listen, we don't always have to have one. Go. So um, I, I don't have anything major coming up. Oh, well, you know what? No, I don't. I don't have anything major coming up this week. So we close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, teams and workplaces for now. Jay and I are ghost. See ya. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.